This is the Banks of the Raritan Podcast, presented by the Fans First Sports Network. I'm your host once again, Greg Petuto, here with Matt Forno. And Matt, it was a busy weekend. We had college football, obviously, Rutgers, a, a 7.30 start on Saturday. Takes you right into the NFL. We're filming this on Monday, September 11th, so there's still some more NFL tonight. Uh, once you're listening to this on Tuesday morning or afternoon, whenever you feel free to listen, all of that will be done and you'll have everything in the rear view. But on Monday, September 11th, obviously, everybody in America with a heavy heart for what happened on September 11th, 2001, something that will live forever in the hearts and the heads of Americans everywhere and something that we will never forget and something very important that we still remember to this day to honor everybody who passed away during the tragic events, but also the first responders and all the work they were able to do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just a day of remembrance, something we'll never forget. I grew up, you know, I've lived in New Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey. Dad was working in New York on the day and I'll just never forget what it was like in first. I think I was in first grade. It got pulled out of school early because uh, you just didn't know what was going on. It was a different time, different time in the world. You were, you were standing by a TV, by a radio. Uh, but yeah, just a special thank you to all first responders and obviously keeping all of those whose lives were lost that day in remembrance. So a somber day, but you know, a, a day that you know I think when we when when a country when we when I think of America and we needing unity, that was a, a tragedy, but certainly brought everybody together for for a very long period of time. And uh, I'm sure we could we could all look back at that and. and find a lot of uh, pride in a in a America at that time but yeah of course a day of remembrance and of but you know yeah uh, we've we've grown so much as a country but you know uh, keep to 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 keep it to, uh, spin it on a positive note you know we have we have at least a, a, a Rutgers win now to talk about and, and be proud of as well but yeah of course with it being 9-11 just a big thank you to all first responders absolutely and with the Jets playing on Monday night too on September 11th there's a lot, of, a lot comes back to sports as well when you look at that day. Obviously not in the big picture and in the grand scheme of things, but w- what we got from that too when you look at George Bush throwing out the first pitch um, in front of a packed Yankee crowd, Mike Piazza hitting the home run against the Braves after coming back if you're a Mets fan, and then obviously it's usually the first weekend of football around that time, so Jets and Giants both get a chance to open up on the weekend. Obviously we're not an NFL podcast, so we're not going to spend time on the Giants. Not that any NFL podcast shouldn't spend time on, the, on that Giant game that we saw on Sunday night, but <laughs> hopefully the Jets open up, give their fans something to cheer about. On uh, I got my Aaron Rodgers uh, t-shirt jersey on, so I'm I'm as ex- I'm as ecstatic as it goes. I'm praying MetLife is a lot different tonight than it was last night because that was that was a that was just tough. Was absolutely, tough. absolutely, just horrible, horrible stuff. So, hope, Jet fans are hoping to get something to cheer about, and and we know Rutgers fans had plenty to cheer about. Before we get to that. Two two weeks for you, two weddings. I got to say, you you have to be one of the more excited fans out there that you could sit down this week, maybe against Virginia Tech, and watch a game. Well, believe it or not, I if it, if this wasn't Virginia Tech playing on Saturday and there wasn't so much connections between me and my fiance, I would have been at a third wedding this upcoming Friday in in New Hope, Pennsylvania. That one we just it wasn't going to work out. We're hosting people, but yeah, that would have been three weddings in a row, Un- unbelievable. But uh, I. Uh, I didn't have to didn't have to punt any uh, wedding cakes into, into any rivers since Rutgers pretty much dominated this whole game. So it was it was fun. It was it, my phone didn't die on me, so I got to watch the whole game. Filmed a couple of videos while at the wedding about the game. Uh, so it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, I got you're passing the torch over to me this weekend. I got a wedding on Saturday, so that'll be and it's a wedding I'm in, which kind of 
makes it yeah. even tougher to watch the game when you look at all the duties that you have to do as a groomsman or a bridesmaid if you're a woman trying to watch this Rutgers game. So it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see how we navigate that day. But two two wins for Rutgers, two and zero to start the season, and a very very wonky game I would say uh, against Temple. Again, a lot of things I take away from that game as positives and encouragement, but a lot of things also need to be cleaned up. And the main thing for me is consistency. But all in all, I'm encouraged once again with with Gavin Wimsett and the play of him. And I'm also very, very encouraged with the play calling. For what I've seen from Kirk Soraka within this offense in just two weeks, a very small sample size, I'm very, very impressed. Yeah, I, I, I definitely feel like I'm watching... I don't want to say a different team because so many players are the same. Obviously, Greg Shano's on the sideline. But the from when you look at it from an offensive perspective, the team just is playing competent football. It's not it's not like you're watching a highlight reel on every play. There were absolutely a couple. Uh, even against Northwestern, there were some really great offensive plays. But, yeah, this one was, you know, to talk less about the offense and more about just like you mentioned, the wonkiness of this game. Across the Northeast as a whole, the day was just a mess with the weather, including the wedding I was at. It got impacted by the rain. So, like, you know, you had uh, updates coming from from if you were on social media or just Rutgers sending them out about the rain and the thunder and the lightning. So it was already like, oh, boy, this is already starting out weird. This is supposed to be, like, close to a sellout of a blackout game. Like, the weather is going to impact stuff. So, But luckily, everything turned out okay, including the wedding. I'll say that. The rain didn't ruin the wedding. Made things a little weird, but didn't ruin the wedding. Uh, but just like the game, yeah, I felt like the offense and, of course, the defense is just continuing to show improvement. Not that the defense is, is showing – There's obviously it's not perfect, but I think at all three levels, we haven't really got to see much of the special teams yet. Uh, besides Jay Patel, who won Big Ten Special Teams Player of, of the Week, which is incredible. So shout out yeah. him. First Rutgers but, kicker ever in the Big Ten. Yeah, I, and to be honest, like I, I, I think I may have mentioned this a couple weeks ago in one of the first one or two podcasts, but having him being able to do that, and we'll get into it more, is such an X factor for Rutgers. Because in previous, it, we would have... We would have the score would have been much closer than last year's game against Temple if he doesn't make a fifty-one yard field goal or forty whatever yard forty-three yard field goal. That's so impressive. So, yeah, the the game was had its it certainly had its ebbs and flows. Some parts where you were shaking your head or yelling at the refs, but all all in all, another game where Rutgers dominated from start to finish. And I truly, as a as a fan, as a spectator, as someone who wants to learn more about football, really never felt like Rutgers was at a, a risk of losing that game. No, a risk of losing it. I would agree. There was a time after beginning of the fourth quarter when Temple scored that touchdown to cut it to 13-7. I tweeted out, not in in panic, not in anything like that, not in anything crazy, but I said Rutgers needs to put a drive together here or this game's going to get a little interesting, which if they would have punted the ball away there or, in my opinion, even kicked a field goal, they would have been up nine still, but a Temple scoring the right back in it, there was plenty of time left. It would have gotten interesting if either of those happened. And this is the the drive of the game, obviously, and the most impressive, in my opinion. They score Rutgers answers right away with a seven-play drive for a touchdown, three-minute drive to go score and take control back in that game. That's what you want to see from a team from an offense. You want to see in the face of adversity, you know, an offense that has some turnover, some new players, so uh, a new scheme in there. Obviously, Gavin's first season as the full-time starting quarterback. You want to see when things get bad, things get a little difficult, which they were over the first three quarters. I mean... 13 points, even though they were able to put some drives together, they weren't able to get the ball in the end zone. That drive to kind of put that game away in the fourth quarter was 
It was the most impressive drive of the season thus far, and that includes, in my opinion, against Northwestern. Even though they were able to put together those double-digit play drives in the first game, that was the most impressive drive of the season for me just because of when it came in the game. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I almost feel like we felt the opposite was true against Northwestern, where we felt like the first drive was the best drive of the game for a number of reasons. They did they checked all the boxes we needed Rutgers to show us on all, from the offensive side of the ball, being able to control the ball, control the clock, and and get down the field with a balanced scheme. You know, in the beginning of the game, they the offense wasn't bad. It just we didn't see a touchdown on the first drive. Oh no, we didn't see a touchdown. You know, we, we got got a field goal, moving the ball, all that. But you know, any. Previous years, Rutgers gets a bad penalty or a bad uh, non-call for a fumble not that doesn't get called their way, and that's the end of the game. Like We lose that momentum. We lose the luck of, of the ball, even though I think if you ask anybody, that was probably a fumble. But Temple used that as an opportunity to get down the field and score. If, you know, if, they, if it doesn't happen, who knows what the score of the game is? But you know, I, I can't be upset with them only scoring seven points. But like you said, yes, the offense, that was their most impressive uh, drive. And then on the other side... You had the defense completely not take a step off the gas and actually get even better. Uh, it was it was so impressive what they were able to do. I can't remember if it was before. I think it was half before they scored their touchdown where we had that goal line stand. I, I, I think that's what happened. Uh, Flip Dixon had that fourth down pass breakup. I don't think it was. I believe it was still. We were still up 13 nothing at that time. But yeah, either way. Still the third quarter in that one. Yeah. After that, you have two interceptions, you know. Just getting after EJ Warner, it was it was so impressive. And another thing that was very cool that I don't think we saw against Northwestern is that last drive for Temple, we had our twos in on defense, so we got fresh guys in, they got experience, and they did a good job. They kept them out of the end zone. That's all we asked for. You know, seven points again, again, just just a really great team win. Complimentary football. Uh, we did have our first turnover, of course, on the first drive, but you know. In all seriousness, turnovers are bad. But as long as Gavin is protecting the ball, that's that's what will be – that's the concern. If, if that does start to happen, then we have a concern. Fumble, stuff like that is going to happen. But, yeah, just to – and, I mean, we're going to get into the players of the game. But uh, Kyle guy was just – I mean, that drive the, that you were just talking about, he was – it was it's incredible. It's incredible because if it was like me. I I wasn't expecting him to, to play this vital role, and he's just been lights out, and I couldn't be happier for him. Yeah, the – Seven plays on that drive, he carried the ball six times, close to 60 yards, obviously scored a touchdown at the end of it. Gavin Wimsett not turning the ball over, you said it perfectly, that's the, the most important thing to worry about because, you know, it's something he struggled with last year and and not seeing it here, obviously you don't want your quarterback to turn the ball over, but he looks, again, very comfortable within this offense, but, and we could dive more into the offense and how they played as well, especially in that fourth quarter, but like you said, the defense was as dominant as we've seen and they they got better over the course of the game in terms of they started taking the ball away. It's like they did everything in this game, and then in the fourth quarter started taking the ball away a little bit. I mean, you look at Temple in the first half, they punted five times, five possessions, five punts. They start the second half with that turnover on downs that you mentioned after what was their best drive of the game. Rutgers is able to stand up. And then another punt before to um, to end the fourth quarter, uh, third quarter, excuse me, and then they score on the first play or second play of the fourth quarter. But... The defense was just lights out getting to EJ Warner and really taking control of a Temple offensive line that came into this game with a few injuries and a lot of inexperience. And it just looked like they were prepared. Like they knew that this Temple team was one that throws the ball a lot. 
They weren't going to kill him on the ground, but they had to be prepared both in the secondary and the defensive line for the passing attack. Again, EJ Warner threw the ball 46 times in this game. It looked like Rutgers had that in mind. They game planned for it, and they really executed on the field. Yeah, you, you, I, I want to. We're going to talk about the players. We're going to talk about both sides of the ball. But you mentioned it. We were more prepared. The coaching of this team is going to be a huge, huge X factor this entire season. I think that they're they're dialed in. They're focused. There's there's less panic. There's less like, what's going on? Why are we doing this? We're we're assertive in what we're doing, and and the, I don't think there's many questions coming from the fan base. There hasn't been much of a need because you've been in so much control of these games. But right now. We've, we've outplayed the teams on the field, but we've also done it on the sidelines. So thank you to the coaching staff. You continue to do a great job. Talking about the defense, though, two players, and now I'm going to give two players that I think were just unbelievable and need to be shouted out. And then one guy in particular that I think needs to – is almost under, under the radar and fans may not be too familiar with. But yep. the two guys were Deion Jennings and Flip Dixon. I want to talk about Deion Jennings because – I can't be happier that he's back on the banks. I mean, this is his sixth year, def, I, I def, at least his fifth year. I think it's his sixth year back. And he's just playing tremendous, whether it's making in, incredible tackles or even in the past, in playing as a, a pass defender. He's just doing such a great job. And it, it's so great for the team that him and Tyreen Powell in the middle or as linebackers are able to do so much, specifically in the passing game. Like, it, it's just it's just so great. And then Flip Dixon was that, that red zone, uh, the goal line stand that they had he made two maybe three i think it was two plays but back he he, he sacked or tackled uh ej warner for like a loss and then he had that pass breakup which i thought was completely fair they picked up the flag which i thought was completely correct because if anything i thought it was offensive pass interference because the off the receiver initiated the contact first and clearly pushed and he was just kind of stuck there but he's been a tremendous addition to the defense and i just needed to shout him him out for his performance and then the other guys on the defensive line you know we talk a lot about aaron lewis wesley bear bailey i've mentioned kenny fletcher but renee conga i watched he first of all He's huge. He's a massive person, which I love to see on the defensive line. And there were just times where he was getting after EJ Warner. We didn't really get to him too much in recording sacks, but he was pressured the entire game. I mean, shout out EJ Warner. He stayed in the pocket and really made some great throws on himself. But Renee Conga on the defensive line, I think he's number 90. Keep an eye out for him because we talk a lot about Aaron Lewis. We talk a lot about these other guys. Watch out for Rene Conga because he is a force out there. And, and something else that the defense did really well was bat the ball down. Now, that might be because E.J. Warner is a smaller quarterback and it's tougher for him to get the ball over the, the line of scrimmage. But we, we deflected, I think, maybe three passes, which is just incredible. So those are just three guys I wanted to talk about on defense. But you know, so many other guys played tremendous as well. Yeah, only one sack in this game coming from you know Igbenusen. But just the pressure they were able to put on, and the linebackers, again, came in as a strength, and both are playing out of their minds thus far. You mentioned uh, Deion Jennings, but, you know, Tyreen Powell leading the team in tackles and nine in this game. Just really being the leaders of a defense that is playing just at the top of their game right now. And Jay Patel, again, to continue on what we were saying there, 51-yard field goal. It's the seventh longest in Rutgers program history, being named Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week. Having a kicker out there, I know we missed one against Northwestern, but having a kicker out there that you can rely on has a big leg and you're not afraid to jog out there to, to put some points on the board. That's a big thing when it comes to Rutgers. Scoring points obviously wasn't easy last year or even in previous years. When you have a kicker out there that can, that's getting you extra points you might not have had in previous years. 
Yeah, I, I've I never thought I would be, and I, I never thought I'd be so excited for a kicker. But I I just think it's something Rutgers hasn't had in so long, and honestly, a lot of college. Um, and Gabe Patel is going to make a mistake here or there. It's just going to happen. That's that's college football kicking. But so many teams, you know, I think of so many times. You know, as great as a team as Alabama has, bef- maybe when during the earlier half of their dynasty, during like the, the late two thousands, early two thousand tens. Their kicking was terrible, and they would always miss kicks. And not that it really mattered. They were still winning national championships, but it means so much to put points on the board. Like, it really does. And for Jay Patel, true freshman from, I believe, either – he's from Middlesex County somewhere. I don't know if it's Edison or South – I think it's South Brunswick. Just awesome. Good for him. It's great to to see him on the the field playing great. And especially he's a, he's a young kid. He's a kid out there kicking 51 yard field goals. They don't, that's not a, that's, that's not a gimme in the NFL. You know, I think there were so many missed kicks last, or the, I mean, the giants could have used him last night, I think on the field. Graham Gano was not having a good game. So it's just great to see not only him kick these field goals, but also be recognized two games into the season. And like I said, those are not, we're not getting points on those possessions in previous years. And it just matters. It just matters. in, in these games that are going to be a lot more close, close fought, as we get into the grind of Big Ten play, so one. But one thing I still think it's a question mark only because it hasn't been observed yet. Is how are we going to do in the kicking game, our, our return game? Like we haven't. I mean, what we've had maybe two, maybe four in total. Maybe we've had four kickoff returns the entire season, which have all been touchbacks. I'm pretty sure or fair catches, and then we've had limited punts or punt returns, and, and one of them was a muffed punt. So there hasn't been any actual returns. So interested to see what that can happen because that was a that was a phase of the game with Aaron Kirkshake or back in the day with Janarian Grant or even Bo Melton where, hey, this is where we're going to score points because we weren't doing it on offense. So again, a third of the game, but and there were times go, looking on the defensive side on, on like because we had so many uh, Temple punted so much. I want us to get a, like a block or something like that. We're getting there. I, we were we were bringing the house on most most uh, punts. But it's it's just a phase of the game where I feel like maybe maybe we're great at it, but we just don't know yet because it hasn't been a part of it. And I'm sure it will be. But you know, looking forward to seeing that hopefully against Virginia Tech this upcoming week. Yeah, that'll rear its head at some point, I'm sure. But it's also just the way of college football now. I feel like so many teams are deciding on whether they even want to run the ball back or if they want to just take the ball to 25. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that the NCAA is trying to get this out of the game with the new fair catch rule and everything they've implemented, whether, you know, you agree with it or not. I don't. I think it's kind of useless to have a fair catch rule when you catch it in the field of play. But um, looking at the offense once again, Gavin Wimps had only threw the ball 21 times, 10 completions, didn't turn it over, had a touchdown, you know, close to 200 yards, 198 yards. Jaquay Jackson was an interesting player. I mean, a, obviously the big 61-yard catch was the highlight on an absolute dime from um, Wimsett down the sideline. But this is a Division II transfer that every he was highly touted. He wasn't sneaking up on anybody. People knew who he was, and a lot of teams wanted him. But he decided to come to Rutgers, saw potential in this coaching staff. I believe he spoke before the season and said he didn't come to Rutgers for NIL money. He wasn't looking to for any of that. He was looking at the next level You know, when it comes to the NFL, and Rutgers has had a lot of talent there. Four catches for 95 yards. He's going to be a big piece of this offense. He didn't do much against Northwestern. I believe only had one catch, but he's a he's a, he's a physical receiver. He's quick. He can obviously beat receivers deep. We saw that on Saturday. I think moving forward, he's got real number one potential in this offense. 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I That 61-yard touchdown, I swear to God, I was going to jump in the Delaware River. I was so excited. I've been wanting – I think fans have – we know Gavin Wimsett has that ability to throw the ball, to launch it, as I call it, a Gavin Nuke. Um, he has that ability, and Jacoby Jackson has the speed. I mean, and the, the way he got the his release off the line of scrimmage on that play, his footwork, his hands, getting around the cornerback – it, it was seamless. It was it was effortless. He has the talent. If it his film, if you ever were interested on finding it when he played in uh, the, what, California University of Pennsylvania, whatever it was, uh, MPA, it's not like the best film, but he made plays like that. He made explosive plays. We were expecting that. We needed that. Uh, but also, he he was making great catches, whether they were comebacks or outs. Like he's 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 a good route runner. He's doing a good job and I can't wait to see him more. I totally agree. He has the absolute makings of a number one wide receiver. Uh, but also I think the, the, one of the more encouraging things is yes, Gavin, he threw the ball 21 times, only completed it 10 times, but we're, we're spreading the ball out. So many guys catch the balls and we even saw the running backs catch the ball and make huge. Some of the biggest pass pass completions were both to running backs, the, you know, the touchdown to Jason Benjamin. And then of course, almost getting uh, Sam Brown into the end zone on like a 27-yard pass, pretty much the same play that went for the touchdown for Benjamin. And it was so great to see him back on the field in uh, Sam Brown. But there's so many mouths that are being fed, and, and they're making good plays. Isaiah Washington, uh, it, was on the, it was on maybe the opening drive. I don't know which drive it was, but he made – ran a quick slant route. He made this great diving catch with pitching with all of his hands. Just so encouraging to see everybody getting involved. But like you said, if, if the offense wants to really take that step forward – we need to figure out who's that number one guy, who's, who we're going to go to in crunch time when we need a big play. And I think it's going to be Jaquay Jackson. I think fans should be really excited about him. And, and Kyle Manungai, again, we, we talked about him briefly there on that one touchdown drive following the Temple score. But And I'll let you take over this one here because I know you're excited about talking about Kyle Manungai. But 28 carries, 165 yards, a touchdown, six yards a carry. I mean, just an absolute workhorse of a day. And we've seen this from... Kyle, we know he can do this. He did this last year at times where he can be the workhorse of a team. He can take over a game. So it'll be interesting to see how it was because Samuel Brown's obviously still not 100%. But, I mean, Kyle Manungai's done his job, and he's here to stay. Not saying that he's going to get 28 carries every week, obviously, but he's a guy that's going to be featured in this offense, and he certainly earned it. Absolutely, definitely earned it. And I think that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing because it's clear on when we, when we talk about defense, we always are highlighting the defensive line. Honestly, the whole unit's just depth. There's depth everywhere on defense, but we've highlighted the defensive line in previous podcasts. But the running back is just every guy, when they get an opportunity, they make the most of it. But no one's done it more than Kyle Manungai so far. And no one's been asked to do more than him on the offense. Obviously, you know, Gavin is the guy we need, but Common Ungai has been the bedrock of the offense right now, especially with an offensive line that still has its question marks, especially with some injuries that are going on there, and we'll get into that. Uh, but Common Ungai, when, when I think about Common Ungai, think about him coming out of high school out of Don Bosco, and who was who his teammate? His teammate was, he may have been the number one player in Jersey at the time, but he was a high four-star, Jalen Berger. He gets to go to, he commits to Wisconsin, and that's a time when Jonathan Taylor was still there. And you're thinking, holy crap, Rutgers was in the mix for a guy who's going to replace Jonathan Taylor. Well, what happens? He goes to Wisconsin, it doesn't work out, he transfers to Michigan State, 
He's playing, but again, he's not their workhorse guy like Kyle Manungai is. And Kyle Manungai was this lower-end three-star player under the radar, not that many offers, commits to Rutgers, stays in state, and now look at him. He's, he's, he's rushing for 165 yards, taking over a game by himself, putting the team on his back, and doing it in his backyard in Piscataway, New Jersey. So I love stories like that. I'll always talk about them because I think that's what's the best thing about Rutgers is we have the talent here in Jersey. And if you if you come on, you stay on board, you get developed, you'll be recognized like Kyle Manungai because he has worked his tail off. He's had moments. But then what were we talking about all season long? It was Sam Brown. It was Gavin Wimsat. It, was, it wasn't Kyle Manungai. And now we have to talk about it. I'm so happy to. So credit to him. I mean, he and he's not and it's not like he's this big bruising back, but he sure plays like it, man. I would not want to be a defender trying to tackle him because he's broken tackles. He busts out big plays and he's just been a great, great player for this team. And I couldn't be happier for him. He was the bright spot of this offense in the first game. And there were plenty of bright spots, you know, the offense being able to put up 450 yards coming off of the fumble on the first possession. Then you look at touchdown, field goal, field goal. Getting points is important, but again, the wonkiness of this game that I talked about, we want to see a little more consistency and we want to see the ball be put into the end zone because kicking those two field goals there while putting up points is a good thing. You put yourself in a position, especially against a team like Temple, where you're expected to win this game and expected to, to run away a little bit. Let's let's be honest about that. You put them in a position in the fourth quarter to steal the game. And they were able to maintain drives, put together drives in that first half. Stalled a little bit in the second, uh, in the third quarter, I should say, because they, they scored 23 points, 23 to 7 in that fourth quarter, taking the ball away. But in that third quarter, again, it just felt, it felt very strange. Maybe like you said, it was the weather, the darkness, like everything that happened on Saturday during that game kind of made it feel weird. And when we're watching late in that fourth quarter, Rutgers up 13-0, Temple driving, there was a little thing that creeps in the back of your head, like, man, here we go again. Like, this offense is is not doing much. They're not being able to put drives together in that third quarter. They're not putting Temple away. Like, a lot was happening there where you just hope it wasn't going the direction it was last year in Philly. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and, and then they did score that touchdown. I was like, all right, let's close the phone for a second. Let's go to the bar. Let's get a drink. Let's collect ourselves. Let's hope this team can can figure it out. And they did. They absolutely did. But I, I did mention it earlier that there were a lot of strange penalties. There were a lot of bad calls by the refs. I don't know if – and, again, I talked about the preparation and the coaching, but I think it, it might have been the same drive or back-to-back drives. But Temple, these are the mistakes. This is what keeps good te- – this is what makes bad teams bad, unfortunately, is you have too many men. You don't have enough men on the line of scrimmage. Uh, they got that penalty illegal formation like that's bad and I think they may have had I don't know if it was a positive play for them as that got called back but those were the detriments of Temple for us we you know we had Greg Shano in the ear of the refs which I love I I want him to to let them know how he feels but he you know I think he got flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct or whatever the penalty is yeah nothing wrong with that yeah I agree totally love it and especially from Greg Shano like I that if if you have nothing to do today or you're interested, look up the the highlights of the game when Flip Dixon had that pass deflection in the end zone to to turn the ball over downs for Temple. Watch Greg Schiano when he sees the flag come out. I swear he runs a four four down the sideline and it is in the ref's ear. I, I'm surprised we didn't get penalized for that, but yeah, yeah. We, I don't think we did. No, we didn't. But like. It was. It's funny, and that's exactly what you need. You need that in. in to, you need to let the refs know I'm not messing around. You're gonna call a good game because that fumble that uh, they 
that wasn't a fumble was was ridiculous. I understand you stop forward progress, but the, I don't think the whistle was blown when the fumble happened. Forward progress was stopped, but the whistle wasn't blown. Just crazy. I mean, it, it was a fumble. It, I, I guess it wasn't a fumble because the this box score and the score will say otherwise. But who knows what happens in that game if if Rutgers gets that fumble? Maybe it's another shutout. But that's ex- those are the type of things you know we we can't control, unfortunately. But like I said, the team continued to chop. To put in Greg Shano's uh, words, and uh, they're going to continue to chop. So it's it's going to be a, a hopefully a very fun season if it continues like this. Yeah, just the one the little piece of negative that I just mentioned about that third quarter and kind of the inconsistency there turned into a major positive where Rutgers was turning turnovers into points. And that's just when a, when a team is working well, they're working together. The defense does a job, the offense comes, and they're able to finish it off. That happened there in the fourth quarter. EJ Warren throws a pick. Inter, um, Rutgers comes back with a field goal. He ended up throwing another one later in the game. Rutgers put together a drive to score a touchdown. Very. That's where you. That's where you want to see too. You want to see. You don't want to see the offense wasting turnovers. I should say that's basically the point I'm trying to get at. And and Rutgers what didn't do that on Saturday. So that inconsistency in the third quarter, the defense picked them up after giving up the one touchdown, and Rutgers was able to turn it into points. That's just a recipe for success. That's something that you want to see in every game when the defense comes up and make a play. Bang, offense, you have to make it stand up, which is something that, again it hasn't happened on either side, really, over the past couple of years. You know, the defense wasn't really taking the ball away as much as it should have. And when they did, if they did, the offense wasn't putting them in a position to to be successful. So both sides weren't working together on Saturday in that fourth quarter, especially. We saw both sides working together and getting it done. Yeah, we, we mentioned the turnovers. I, I, I need to give Jordan Thompson, obviously, a shout-out. Another Jersey guy from Parsippany. Uh, I mean, he was he's a defensive lineman that backs up in coverage, like a nice, uh, I don't know what... I don't know what that's called, like a zone blitz or whatever, but the the phrase is, is escaping me. Either way, like a like a two hundred ninety pound defensive lineman dropping back in coverage and picking off EJ Warner. Like I would have made that mistake too if I was EJ Warner. I wouldn't have expected that. So a great obvious obviously a great play call by Joe Harris Simiak. Trusts his guys and Jordan Thompson. I mean, I wasn't expecting to see him get an interception this season, especially not like a tip ball at the line of scrimmage. So that was awesome. Uh, but yeah, we talked about. T- turning turnovers into points on offense. But what we're seeing, I think, from Shaquan Loyal, Flip Dixon, and uh, uh, Desmond Igbeninson is we we were worried on, on defense about our, our the safety position. And those guys have, honestly, they might be playing better than than what Aaron or Avery Young and Christian is. I'm not going to say that they're, they're playing better just yet. It's only been two games. It's, that's too early to say that. But they are answering the call that that needed there they're filling the hole the void that needed to be filled and they're doing a great job they're they're christian Azian, one thing i loved about him last year and the years he played on the banks was his presence in the box and able to get after the quarterback and create tackles for loss or sacks and that's what we're getting from all of them especially shaquan loyal and, and uh Ibenison is is they're making plays at the line of scrimmage and in the backfield in addition to in the secondary is past defenders. It's it's just very, very encouraging. There's so many guys in this team. I mean, everybody on the defense is just playing great. And it's another thing to mention is the return of Mohamed Ture is just, holy cow, I do not want to play against that guy. I, no. I really do. No. I do not want to be on the other side of the ball playing against him. There's real, there's real, real ballers on this defense. Again, we, we're not, we're going to find out and, 
it, you know, Virginia Tech, you know, they're, they're, they're having their own troubles. There's a couple injuries, but in two weeks, and I don't want to look ahead. Obviously we're going to find out how good the defense truly is playing in Ann Arbor against Michigan. So, you know, they've, they've, they've done, they've done well there in the past. And I think the defense is even stronger now. So, you know, it's just very fun being able to root for a very good defense and, and they're not giving us the, their ability to play well uh, in the running game is just amazing. I, I don't know how many yards Temple had. Let me see. I have it here. Uh, but the, the their ability to play, let's see, Temple rushed for 68 yards on 24 attempts. That's tremendous. That's just great. I mean, it's more than what the 12 yards we allowed from Northwestern. <laughs> you know, I'll take it. I'll take it. That's just really great. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about the way the defense has just been playing. It's just so fun to watch. We're going to find out more next week against a Virginia Tech team, which we're going to break down further in the week, the the preview to be released on Friday. But a Virginia Tech team that's a little banged up and, and a little down, again, as a program over the past couple of years. So the defense has to come in again and perform like they've been. And you mentioned the secondary. Last year, maybe it was the linebackers that came in as a question mark, right? And we saw Powell and Jennings both step up and turn it into a strength. So coming into this year, there were no question marks at the linebacker position. The secondary, maybe because of what was lost, we knew what Max Melton is, Robert Longerbeam was going to play a big role. There were other pieces that had to be filled in, though, especially at the safety position. And that's what we're seeing, you know, with the losses of Christian Izzy and shout out him having his first interception in his first game as a starter and in the, at the NFL level. And they've really done well. But I got to say, too, we talked about the coaching and they, Rutgers has been winning the sidelines. The schemes have just been incredible. And the coaching staff is putting this defense in a position to be successful. And it's showing up on the scoreboard, giving up 14 points in just two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the one I don't I don't want to have to have this question answered. But what's going to happen when the team is one either playing from behind or deals with a substantial dose of adversity. We may be experiencing that. Looks like Tyler, Tyler Needham, pretty severe injury. I don't, I don't know if Greg Shadow gave the details just yet, but I think he was carted off. Just, you know, you know, you hate to see that, especially a guy who was battling for a spot on the offensive line. Uh, so that, that's, I think we're, we're entering that phase of, Hey, this is football. There's going to be injuries along the way. How do you respond from this adversity? Who's going to be the next guy up? Who's going to continue to chop? Uh, but there's going to be times throughout the season where, you know, we've we've checked the boxes for the first two games where there's been very few questions that linger over this team in regards to how they're going to perform. But there's going to come a point where the team's going to need to have a, you know, come together moment like, hey, what's going on here? We need to figure this out. I'm, cu- I'm curious what's going to happen in moments like that, because right now, I mean, everything is just going well. Everything is going well uh, and, and they need to continue with this momentum because it can take them pretty far. You know, we, we, the goal every single year is start the out-of-conference 3-0 and build off that. And they're right now in a position to continue to do that. So we're going to we're gonna see what happens. And I, I, obviously there's more the team can do to improve on. I think, uh, you know, Gavin isn't, isn't, isn't playing awful, but he's certainly not playing perfect, just like the whole team isn't. So there's, there's areas for improvement, but I think that's what you want to see. You don't want to know, hey, this is the best we're going to be in week two. We want to continue to see improvement. And I think that there was stuff that the team did better this week than they did against Northwestern. And keep in mind, it, it, it was a shorter week. It was a shorter week. Classes started, probably more distractions for the team. But they came out focused as ever, and they did a great job. So they can if they can continue to do this against Virginia Tech and what I hope will be uh, close to a sellout game, I think the Hokie fans will 
give us help with that because they're going to show up, even though the team had a very strange game on Saturday. It took about like eight hours to complete. But uh, yeah, I'm, I can't wait for Saturday. We're going to get even more questions answered. Absolutely. It's, it's strange talking about this and sounding so positive because – Obviously, Rutgers has – they have that schedule coming up. They have the Big Ten gauntlet coming up. So, no, things aren't going to be like this all the time. But when you look at the sample size, you can only judge what you've seen. You can only play who's on your schedule. Rutgers came into this season expecting to be 2-0. and That's what they expected. That's what fans expected. They've done it, and they've done it in an impressive manner, meaning they, they've shut down both teams that they've played. They were able to score some points in both games. And really, you can't ask for much more than that. I mean – when you look at the way the defense has played, giving up just seven points, you know, but he probably could have shut out both opponents even if you want to get picky, but giving up just seven points. In both, absolutely. Giving up seven points in both games. So we're going to learn a lot against Virginia Tech. We're going to learn even more against Michigan. And once Big Ten play starts, you know, you expect to beat Indiana when you look at the way the Rutgers defense has been playing, especially. And maybe the offense continues to be improved under Soraka with Wims at under center. Maybe Michigan. I had my my preview at five and seven, losing that Michigan State game. But everything that's going on over there now, yeah. maybe maybe that kind of flips to a win. Who knows where you know the Michigan State program is going to go for the rest of this season after everything that's going on out there. So, so many developments happen over the course of the season, obviously on and off the field, as we've seen using you know Michigan State and Mel Tucker as an example. But as of now, there's reasons to be positive for Rutgers. It can absolutely change if they come out and lay an egg and lose to Virginia Tech on Saturday but from two games you're seeing a team that looks improved both on both sides of the ball and then the coaching staff totally one thing another you know and we're going to get it in two weeks when we go to Ann Arbor but you know how's this team going to perform on the road it's it's a totally different type of game when you're playing on the road especially when you're going to places like Ann Arbor 100,000 people 110,000 people or Happy Valley 107,000 people those are hostile environments some of the toughest places to play in the country how will the team do there we're going to find out obviously it's just a matter of that's how scheduling works in football uh but yeah i mean the i'm just very happy with the way the team's performing and i think there's very few distractions you know this time think about where we were we the goal like i said for the past couple of years start the season three no and we've done that the past two years and we're hopefully we're on track to that this year but there were still so many questions about oh what's this going to do what are we going to do here and nothing was more of a question than the quarterback position like last year and the way we felt coming off that temple win was not good we did not feel good coming off that win last year especially because we were like we just played with like three, maybe four quarterbacks. Like, what is going on here? Gavin's put all the snaps. He's done a great job. The offense is figuring itself out. We just feel better. And I think that's a, a real tangible feeling that people should have because they're they're giving us less to question and more to be excited about or simply optimistic about. There's true improvement that's been demonstrated on the field. And I'm just really excited. And I think, you know, everybody, everybody looked at this season as a pivotal, pivotal year for Rutgers especially for Greg Schiano. Like we've seen what you've done in the past. College football has changed. This is no longer the Big East. You know, it's great if we make it through 3 and 0, but we're going to need to see a big win or a bowl game or something like that. And to go back to Michigan State, I don't want to I don't want to get into the details or talk about Mel Tucker. I've already explained a million times how I feel about him, but like that's going to be a team that either rallies for their former coach and, and wants to show that they're still playing or it's going to fall apart. Who knows what happens? I mean, it just seems like a this seems like an issue that's messy 
at, from an athletics department institution level. So it's going to be difficult to excuse those distractions. But like I said, those are the things Rutgers doesn't have to worry about. There are a lot of other teams in the Big Ten that are dealing with their own issues. And I feel like Rutgers is just in a, in a way flying underneath the radar. I, mean, I want to know what people would have been saying if, if we did have back-to-back shutout, shutouts. But I don't know if any team has done that yet in the Big Ten. Everybody has let up that one drive that's resulted in points, whether it's Ohio State, Penn State that hosted Delaware this weekend, Michigan's allowed it. Uh, but Rutgers is, you know, these are these are games that I'm not sure we, we fe- I feel incredible about a 37 or 36 to 7 win against Temple. And speaking of Temple, I do think that's going to be a team that's improved. Uh, look look yeah, for them to do, to, to, to make some noise in the AAC. I, I, I would love for them to be competitive because it's just nice that we schedule these games and hopefully they can become more and more like a rivalry and them playing good is just good for the area. So, you know, that's a team I, I do think is much better than last year and probably in a game against Northwestern possibly could be favored. So I think they were a better team than, than what we played in week one against Northwestern. Yeah, that be, having them in Philly, it's an easy travel for both teams. It's a nice regional rivalry to play every year. And that's a team that's definitely on the rise. E.J. Warner, if he stays at Temple, you obviously with the way the transfer portal works now, only being a true sophomore, he's a player that's going to continue to improve and is already very confident and, and very talented at this stage. But Stan Drayton, I like hard-nosed guy. I like him. He's got that fire, too, knowledge of the game. I think he's some, someone that can turn this program around, obviously just his second year. So he's looking for improvement as well. But there's a little more leeway only being his second year. Greg Schiano coming in, obviously we mentioned with his fourth year and his second tenure, the, the improvements that we had to see from Rutgers now that his guys are starting to file in fully, I should say. We're seeing that, but I also like seeing him on the sidelines. Obviously, we discussed the fire he showed with uh, the penalty and the, and the pass breakup and all that stuff. But even when big plays are made, he's excited when the camera shows him. He looks like he has so much energy on that sideline. The way he's speaking in press conferences, he feels a little different than other year. He feels a little more no-nonsense. And it's interesting to think about. He kept saying during Big Ten media days and, and going into that Northwestern game that he was so excited for this season and he was so excited for this team more than other years. And this is the most excited he's ever been coaching Rutgers. It just sounds like, again, such cliches and such coach speak and all this other stuff that we've heard over the years. But he's kind of showing it on the sideline when it comes to that energy and what he see what he's showing in the press conferences. It's very exciting to see. I mean, a guy makes a play on defense, they score a touchdown. You see him jumping around and screaming, waving guys off the field, different things. I mean, that's stuff that he's shown in the past, but really not as much as this year. Not even close, actually. Yeah, and there was there were plenty of times last season, and it was specifically when Sean Gleason was on the sideline next to him. Is I sensed of just him with a feeling of just he didn't he looked very uneasy not to mention Sean Gleason never seemed very confident I'm talking like just facial expressions body language when I when they pan to Greg Schiano on the sideline he is laser focused chopping away and and that's what I want to see I want to see my head coach ready to go fired up and and it's it's collected though it's not it's not crazy it's not you know distraction it's I'm a football coach. I'm ready to go. I'm put me out there and I'll play. That's what I'm seeing when, when they pan to Greg Schiano. And also, I've been trying to pay attention to Harris Simiak. 
he's a guy that also looks very calm. But when he's coaching like pre-snap on the sideline, look at him. He's a very animated guy, telling guys what to do. I, I can't speak enough about the coaches. As, as much as the players fire me up and they're the guys on the field making the plays, the coaches are really, really doing a lights-out job. Again, let's find out what happens when adversity hits. They need to make some on, you know, halftime adjustments or on-the-fly adjustments. But I, I trust these guys, and I really think Shiano has put together a tremendous staff. And again, this was another game where Marquise Watson was not on the sideline. And the defensive line, the defense as a whole, didn't skip a beat. So in a sense, yes, we're dealing with some injuries on offense and on defense all over the place. But we're also doing it with the coaching staff. I can't wait to see what happens when everybody's together. And maybe we get that on Saturday, or maybe we get that when they come back from Ann Arbor against Wagner, which is obviously not a game too many fans are going to be worried about. But it's I still think this team is ascending, and that should be the case two weeks into the year. So very, very excited. Absolutely. Final thought here for me is, again, the play calling. It's how I started here and how I'm going to continue it. It was just so vanilla last year so boring times it looked ugly I know that Nebraska game on Friday night was the the icing on the cake for a lot of fans and obviously that led to um, Gleason being let go but that's not what we're seeing this year we're seeing a coach that is committed to what he wants to do he's not putting his young quarterback his you know relatively inexperienced quarterback in a position to fail and that's the most important thing he's not coming out asking him to do too much whether it be passing the ball or running it, he's putting him in a position to be successful and he's using the ground game when it's working and he's using it a lot. Again, Kyle Manungai, 28 carries. I think the team as a whole, I got the stats right here, carried the ball 52 times. That includes eight from Gavin. He's doing he's doing the right things and he's sticking with what's working. And it's beautiful to see because so many coaches feel like, all right, I'm running the ball too much. I got to mix in some passing or... I'm getting pass happy. Let's run the ball even if it's not working. Like There's so many things that can go wrong within an offense, especially if you call plays that your quarterback's not comfortable with. And I mentioned Gavin looking so comfortable in this offense. It obviously comes from his offensive coordinator putting him in a position to be successful. And like you said, Wimsett hasn't been – he hasn't been perfect. The, the ground game hasn't been perfect. The receivers obviously can be a lot better. But right now, the comfort level of everybody looks good, and that comes from the coordinator himself. So that's what we're going to see even more of in Virginia Tech, hopefully. And as the competition grows, he's going to have to adjust, whether it be mid-game or following some losses or some wins. So right now, through two games, it's all we can go off of. The play calling and the offense has looked so much more comfortable, and you have to be encouraged with Soraka moving forward. Definitely. I mean, I... I almost think we probably shouldn't be like, oh, we're surprised the offense is actually being competent. Like, that's what he did. His previous jobs, this is what he's done. This is, this is the type of offense he's had. But I don't know, in Minnesota, if you would you would relate Tanner Morgan to Gavin Wimsat. And that's just, they just, you know, Tanner Morgan, great quarterback, was like 25 when he graduated. But Gavin's still a kid and he's, and he's still developing. So I'm so excited. And that's where I'm going to go with my takeaway is, you know, I talked a lot about common on guy. We can always talk about the defense. Just don't, you know, I want to bring something else. And, you know, I guess I'm not really bringing something else by saying my takeaway is just Gavin Wimsat. Because when I watch, again, it's these are just kids at the end of the day. He, they're just kids. Remember that. I think he's going to be turning 20 in December. Yep, he's Maybe not much a kid. Yeah, but st- like, just still a kid. When he completed that pass to Jaquay Jackson, the camp, you know, obviously Jaquay Jackson, great play, uh, caught up 
got a couple more yards up with his feet after the catch. But then the camera went to Gavin Wimsat. And I swear, you, I could have saw his smile from where I was in Pennsylvania for the wedding. He's just grinning. He's having fun. And he's doing a good job as a young quarterback. And it just makes me feel so happy that he's having fun out there. And, it, and, and he's also succeeding and showing improvement. That means a lot. That that is something you you don't want to like. I don't. I remember watching him last season, and he was he was stone faced. He did not look thrilled to be out there. Now, who would when you're getting shut out on the road against Minnesota or Penn State or, or it wasn't Penn State, but or Maryland at the end of the year? His body language it wasn't bad. It just wasn't encouraging. It didn't show much sign of of life. That's not the case this year. When he scored that touchdown against Northwestern with his feet, he was fired up. And I love to see that. And it was the same reaction uh, with Jaquay Jackson. So he's he's been a great leader for this team. He's having fun. And most importantly, he's showing improvement. Uh, and one thing, you know, we're getting we're getting bits and pieces of it. I think as fans, maybe we're being a little bit more selfish. We want to see him run the ball more. But on that design quarterback run, I think of the might have been the opening drive of the game. I'm not lying. You could have fit one of the, you could have fit the, the one of the Rutgers buses. You could have fit the LX through that hole. It was like the seas parted, and he was just running through with the running back as a lead blocker. So we're getting more of that. We didn't see that last year, but that's going to be something I think. Obviously, you want to keep him healthy, so you're going to limit that. But if we can continue to find ways for Gavin to make plays specifically with his legs, this offense can really, really take the next step forward. So my biggest takeaway is just. Enjoying to watch Gavin Wimsett and knowing that, you know, he's having fun playing football, the sport that he loves. I think that goes a very, very long way and can't be talked bad enough. Absolutely. And that's what's led to Rutgers being 2-0 and as we sit here on this Tuesday afternoon when you guys are listening to it. We'll be back with you. Big week again. Can't describe. This is one of the, the swing games for Rutgers, one of the most important games on their schedule coming up on Saturday against Virginia Tech. Once again, a home game in Piscataway. A lot to look forward to this weekend when it comes to Rutgers football, and we'll be back on Friday to break it all down. We're going to preview the game and give you our best bets for week three already. Again, week week by week, everything just starts flying once you get into football season, but we'll be back on Friday for that. Before we go, Matt, any final thoughts? I'm ready to go. I'm ready to roll. If you're, uh, We're going to talk about it more. Uh, the next the upcoming podcast, but if you're in if you're in the Piscataway area, you're in the Scarlet Lot. I'll be there. Come say hi. I'll, I'll toss you a beer. I'll toss you a burger. We'll have plenty of food. But yeah, this is a week I've been looking forward to for a while. Can't wait to preview the game uh, in a couple of days. So more to come. And you know, just just super happy with the way the team has been performing, and couldn't be happier to be a, a Rutgers fan right now. Absolutely. So Virginia Tech preview. We will be back with the On the Bags podcast on Friday to discuss again one of the biggest games on the schedule that could be a turning point in this Rutgers football season.